This is a podcast from the South China Morning Post. Hello and welcome to the US-China trade war update with me, Finbar Birmingham, on the political economy desk here at the South China Morning Post. What a week it has been. We've been off the chart here at SMP HQ. We've been keeping on sociable hours as we track an election on the other side of the world, but one which may have a seismic impact on our own turf. It's Friday afternoon. We've held off recording this for as long as possible. And while we still have no winner, it's looking more and more like Joe Biden may well be the next president of the United States. What does that mean for China? Well, we've been getting mixed reviews. Some people think Beijing wanted Trump to win because he was seen to be weakening the Western alliance. Others said that China wanted Biden because they were simply fed up of four years of dealing with Trump's unpredictability. But most people we speak to nowadays seem to say that it doesn't really matter either way because they're going to just keep coming down hard on China, which is just going to continue to do its own thing. I'm going to be joined by our political economy editors, John Carter and Joe Shin, to get a sense of what it's been like to cover this pivotal election. It's a quickfire episode this week. We have been burning the midnight oil, but we'll also drop in a few snippets of some chats I've had over the course of the day with other people. Enjoy the show. I'll chat to you on the other side. Friday afternoon. We don't usually record this late in the week, but we thought we would give it more time to see if we would have a winner in the US election. As it stands, we don't have an official winner, although it certainly looks as though Joe Biden has a clear path to victory. Um, John, this has been a bit of a roller coaster to cover. You've been leading the South China Morning Post's coverage. You've uh, you've been working around the clock. clock. What's it been like covering an election on the other side of the world? Well, on the one hand, you're not there in the United States, um, so you don't get the uh, what would be oppressive um, daily, hourly, minute by minute, um, intense uh, feeling of the election all around you. On the other hand, um, we in the digital age we have we're connected to everything, all of the networks, all of the blogs. We're getting lots of information in real time, and it's very interesting. And uh, the, the attitude in the newsroom is everyone's on pins and needles. Everyone wants to know. Everyone's crowded around the TVs trying to figure out what's going on. It's, uh, it's an alive event, even for non-Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, people are curious. This is, as one European friend of mine said, it's like a World Cup match. Everybody wants to know the outcome. Yeah, although it's a very long match. Uh, you know, it's Friday. I'm kind so, of sick so, of this match, to be honest. People, people are comparing it to cricket, a multi-day cricket yeah, match. More like a five-day test, yeah. I would say. Um, yeah. You know, uh, w- 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 Joshin, you, you've been sort of, um, I'm sure, watching it as well. Um, are you sort of surprised by how it's dragged out? I mean, what, what, how have you taken in the last few days? Uh, well, first of all, I think it is uh, um, longer than expected. I thought by now we will have the result, but it's still going on. And also, it seems to me that it's uh, um, quite surprising to see actually Chinese people are actually watching it quite closely. But of course, not to uh, seriously studying some geopolitical implications for China, but more of like making uh, jokes out, out of it and uh, and for kind of fun. Even uh, Global Times ed- editor Hu Xijing, who is uh, not famous for his jokes, uh, uh, joked on Twitter, right? He said, Beijing 
Beijing is uh, forbidden because uh, Beijing has a forbidden city. <laughs> <laughs> boom, boom. Uh, yes. <laughs> and also every morning I got some like uh, new jokes uh, created from this. Uh, <clears throat> the latest one was about like, hey guys, look at the other, uh, the other part of the world, you know, two old men in their 70s are still fighting for one single job. So what kind of complaint you could have for the day and you know, just to get up and go to work? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah as, I, as Winston Churchill said, democracy is the worst form of government ever invented, except for all the others. <laughs> yes, it, it's like making sausage, being watching sausage being made. It's it's the processes can be uh, unpleasant. But but I think one reason, uh, one real reason between this uh, behind this, you know. Uh, uh, belittering or you know uh, half-hearted, light-hearted jokes about this because China doesn't allow any real serious discussion about it, mm. because the Chinese government, as you can see, is very very uh, careful not to show any preferences for uh, either side, and also uh, for all the state media has been quite tight-lipped. You know they will not uh, speculate like what kind of implications for mm -hmm. China will be if Trump or Biden. Mm -hmm. Uh, wins the election. I think that's one reason that's, uh, uh, you know, people, you know, when, when you, you can't dis, uh, discuss or, or talk about serious stuff, you know, you make jokes about make it. Joke, it's, yeah. it's, it's, about, uh, it's exactly like the Soviet Union. <laughs> it's just to have endless uh, political jokes. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's a great point. And uh, that was interesting. Some of the front pages as well on the, at least on the state-owned press in, in Hong Kong, the Chinese state-owned press in Hong Kong were, were pulling uh, Making poking jokes and poking fun at the at the state of the um, at the U.S. election. Did you actually have it to that extent, Joshin? Did you have like front pages about it in in mainland China? Uh, no, the, no. <laughs> as you know, the front pages is always by our own president instead of these yeah. <laughs> two potential presidents in the United States. Yeah, yeah, we'll get but we'll get to him in a minute. Um, John, I just wanted to ask you about you, you discussed the the sort of dis, dis, the differences of covering it from afar, but it's also presented both opportunities and challenges as somebody who's been we've both been manning the, the live blog so we've been able to I guess get up, get up on things when when America's sleeping we've seen a lot of people reading our, our stuff perhaps because other media are, are maybe catching up on a nap but there's but it's not it's not been wholly straightforward either no and uh, as you say we have our US bureau which covers it doing our US daylight hours and they hand off to us uh, when they go to bed um, and we cover it through the night and there have been important developments to them. There was just another update on the, the vote count in in uh, Pennsylvania and in Georgia. They're, they're continuing to count votes. This is continuing and hopefully, knock on wood, we'll get a, a, a decision uh, sometime in U.S. daylight hours on Friday. Um, but you know, having said all that, it is uh, the process is continuing and it's a very engaging, very engrossing, mm -hmm. and we're watching it closely. And I've got the unenviable task of writing tomorrow's front page. There you go. A new story, which I had to do the other day. That is a challenge to try <laughs> try and write something. You don't really know what's going to happen. You don't want to look stupid the next day when it hits the newsstands. <laughs> well, this is it. You can't write. You can't write the newspaper front page story saying Biden wins because it hasn't been declared yet. Yeah. And it could happen before the paper even hits the newsstands in the morning. Mm -hmm. It's it's a tough thing to do. But uh, then I would say to people, go look at our website. We will have it up, <laughs> up to date. That can be the head. By the minute. We're right there for you. Yeah. The, uh, uh, Jusin, I wanted to ask you, I mean, Xi Jinping was speaking publicly this week. Uh, they had the the 
import export the import expo in yes. Shanghai yeah and he he gave a, an address at that and he seemed to be drilling down on this message of self-sufficiency and just back to what you said earlier about how China's been so careful not to position itself on either side this uh, you know endless messages that we get about how China doesn't matter to China who leads the US because it just knows that it's it's in for a challenging time and so on more of the same would you say in this speech from Xi oh yes and also uh, I think uh, for the for the presidential election, of course, China will not say we're uh, you know uh, we prefer Trump or mm-hmm. Biden. But uh, one thing has to be noted that the more the election chaotic looks like, or there are more like riots or mm-hmm. troubles because of the election, uh, you know, China will not waste the chance uh, to project it to the domestic media. See, look at this messy, you know, democracy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, our country system is just much better, much more suitable for, for China. Yeah. And can China really uh, withstand these kind of uh, deep social divisions and, you know, these kind of street protests? And so um, the U.S. presidential election becomes a mirror. You know, if the, 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 the more, uh, the darker it is, you know, the, the brighter China side yeah. it looks. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, in the in the in the speech at the Shanghai International Expo, I think the uh, message is the same. Uh, Xi Jinping is trying to uh, project the image that China is uh, um, support of free trade, support multilateralism, and it's a uh, power of st- stability in this mm-hmm. world of chaos and risks. And also, uh, he is trying very hard to say, you know, China's market will continue to be opening to everyone. It's uh, it's, it's a China market, but it's also a market for the for the rest of the world. Of course, whether whether he can convince the world is another question. Yeah. But at least this is a, a positioning uh, from Beijing. Yes. Yeah, it's an inter- I mean, interestingly, this all he makes all these comments in the same week that they cut off uh, all the Australian uh, supply to China. So I mean, it is it, like it's definitely. <laughs> Do as I say, not as I do. Well, uh, they haven't announced anything, and uh, the official line is that uh, they have the laws and regulations to enhance inspection and quarantine of uh, risky products, and also <laughs> the importers have their own initiative and rights to decide which products and how many products they want mm. to buy. It's a, it's a web of bureaucracy. Uh, we'll maybe get into that on, on another day, um, but we it's going to be a quick episode because we have to get back to this coverage, John, but um, obviously presidential election aside, what have you got your eye on for the coming days, if anything? Maybe a cold beer at the end of the day? Uh, Maybe more than one. (laughs) Um, But uh, we have uh, Chinese trade data tomorrow, um, and we expect it to show what it has been showing for a number of months, which is that the uh, Chinese trade sector continues to do quite well. And it is, um, as we say, making hay while the sun shines because of the resurgence of coronavirus in Europe and the United States, its exports of personal protection equipment, that is, from the spacesuits that uh, the caregivers use to masks to what have you. There, a lot of that is made here in China and uh, medications as well. And that's those exports are booming because of the resurgence of the coronavirus. So we expect Chinese exports to continue to show good strength. The key issue is will imports uh, show strength as they did last month? They were very strong last month. Um, And is that a one-off or is that a new pattern 
based on stronger domestic demand, which would again imply a, a further improvement of the Chinese economy here in the first month of the fourth quarter. Hmm. Interesting to see if uh, if and when Trump exits the White House, they keep buying all these farm goods. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a big question, right? Yeah. We, uh, well, another thing is, uh, because the whole world is basically <laughs> waiting for the result of the U.S. election, and if there is a result, we are going to see very, uh, I'm, I'm expecting very quick development on other fronts. Mm-hmm. For instance, uh, the investment treaty talks between China and Europe. Mm-hmm. If they know who will be in the White House, my disease stocks would be much easier. Yeah. On the Asia side, it's the ASEP, uh, the Regional Cooperation of Economic Partnership, mm-hmm. and this one between uh, Asia and China, um, South Korea and Japan. Maybe maybe if they know kind of clearly expectations of what will happen. So, you know, if Biden is in the White House and uh, Japan would expect uh, uh, the res- resumption of the TPP, maybe ASEP will lose momentum. Mm-hmm. But if Trump was wins the election, maybe ASEP would get a lost uh, push. Yeah, great well, point. And you mentioned the uh, uh, investment treaty between Europe and China. China, yes. Yeah, but we, with Biden, we may get a resumption of negotiations on a U.S. investment treaty, which was under negotiations under Biden, but was dropped by Trump. <laughs> exactly. So do we go back to that and do yeah. the Europeans and the U.S. combine forces to get an investment treaty? All <laughs> interesting questions that will be answered in the period ahead. Yeah, I think maybe a bit of distance from that one. But I wanted to ask Joe Shin. I mean, um, obviously, there's just a custom of in the early weeks or days or weeks of a new U.S. president, China always wants to test them in, in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, just in case the listeners aren't familiar, what, what have been sort of examples of that in the past that you can recall and would you expect that to continue? Uh, I don't think China will uh, do lots of uh, um, do things like to try to you know make trouble. Or, but I think China will do something to show goodwill to cooperate with Washington. Uh, for instance, uh, um, you know the climate accord is very uh, important mm. for China and the U.S. Yeah. That's the last uh, big deal signed between uh, Obama and the and Xi. Maybe China will take take advantage of this and they say, hey, let's you know have some dialogue or cooperation mechanism on climate change, and this will be a, a good start for the for Beijing and Washington to talk to each other mm. and to yes. lead naturally yes. to other problems. Yes, no, yeah. there, there was an, a, a very big announcement uh, between China and the U.S. But under, in the Obama administration, yes. despite all the other issues, areas of controversy, that they had come to an agreement on an approach mm. under the Paris Climate Accord to limiting mm-hmm. pollution. And it was uh, remarkable given all the other issues in the relationship. Yeah, and I mean, it's uh, somewhat uh, appropriate or ironic, I don't know which, but on Tuesday, the day of the U.S. election, the U.S. officially exited the Paris Accord. Obviously, mm. it, it fell between the cracks given all the other news. But I mean, <laughs> it would be quite something if they were to rejoin. Although, look at the state of um, the virus in the United States, the domestic issues they face. I honestly don't know if we'll get too much movement on no, it's foreign a, affairs too soon. No, it, Biden has, a, is, assuming he, he is president, he mm. has a huge domestic agenda he has to attend to first. Yeah. Well, this time next week, we may or we may not know, but at least we pl- probably have plenty to talk about. But until then, John Carter, Joe Shin, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Look, we usually bring you a feature interview at this part of the show, but given the week that's in it, it's been a bit rushed, and I've just been speaking to people ad hoc, off the cuff. But I have a couple of snippets for you with interesting people that I think said 
a few interesting things. First off, I'm going to bring you a cut from an interview I did with Kenneth Jarrett. Ken is the former US Consul General up in Shanghai. He used to be the Deputy Consul General here in Hong Kong, and he's also been heavily involved in the American Chamber of Commerce and so on. He knows his onions. He knows the US. He knows China. I started off by asking him how it's been in Shanghai over the past couple of days. What are people saying about the election? His own network, obviously, is very plugged into certain parts of society. What are they saying about Trump v. Biden? But overall, I mean, I would say for this audience, uh, they actually, so it was evident that they were pleased to see that Biden was going, is a likely winner, uh, because there is a certain amount of Trump exhaustion that's setting in. Uh, You know, whether or not they're looking at it from, I guess, China's national interest, that's a little bit hard to judge. But, uh, no, at the very least, I would say that this group felt that with a Biden administration, uh, even if, you know, the fundamental tensions don't go away, that there'll be sort of, you know, more process and structure uh, and less uncertainty for the interaction, you know, between the U.S. and China. Mm -hmm. Something that a lot of analysts have been saying that, you know, for Biden, at least the kind of you won't have government by tweet and you know, there'll be um, things will be a little bit more deliberate mm-hmm. you know, than we've seen in the Trump administration. So that's sort of that was definitely one impression. I was just going to ask, um, do, you, do you get a sense that it's being followed very closely by uh, financiers? I suppose like they're probably maybe a bit more engaged that with the outside world perhaps than, than your average man on the street in, in China. But, um, you know, is, is it, have they been following the election very closely? Uh, so this group definitely has. Uh, whether or not, so they may not be representative to your point, but actually, I, mean, I was trying, well, because I've been, you know, in subways and stuff, you know, it's a little, I mean, I have noticed people on their phone and if, you know, sometimes you see images, you know, it's definitely election related images. And just in sort of WeChat comments from other Americans around town, you know, others have, you know, commented about the degree to which people are following the election, even though the state media has been relatively, you know, they're quiet about it at this stage. Mm-hmm. As, you know, there's, you know, for the Chinese government, there's not much upside and they're saying anything at this stage, particularly if there have been accusations earlier about they're trying to, you know, shape the outcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but I mean, then, you know, it gets back to your, you know, then the question becomes, well, what about Shanghai? I mean, Shanghai is a pretty outward oriented, well-educated group. The next person you're going to hear from is Francisco Sanchez. Francisco was the Undersecretary for Trade in the Department of Commerce under Barack Obama. Got real chops. I was glad to catch up with him to ask him for his thoughts on what Biden might do in terms of political appointees and whether the fact that it doesn't look as though, at least at this stage, the Democratic Party is going to win the Senate, whether that might be an obstacle in Biden getting in the appointees that he would like. I think that uh, when it comes to the cabinet, the uh, Senate, even a Republican-controlled Senate, will show great deference to the new president. Uh, where there there may be more partisan activity is in judicial appointments, and that was certainly the case in the Obama administration. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that um, I don't think that they'll give him a hard time on his cabinet. So, so to the to the um, appointment of trade officials, um, I mean, you you were as you, as you mentioned uh, in the Obama administration, um, 
Undersecretary for International Trade at the Department of, of Commerce. Yeah. At that point, um, what was the prerequisite? I mean, what what do you feel like was people were looking for from your position? Um, and has that changed? Do you think with with trade being arguably more mainstream and uh, certainly more political than than it was, um, or more more vocally political anyway? Well, I, I think the what's changing maybe from if a Biden if Vice President Biden is victorious. I think you'll you you'll have different constituencies from President Trump that will have some say, uh, not not a veto, but they will have some say and and some influence on who key appointments are to the U.S. Trade Representative, the deputy positions, uh, as well as key positions at the Department of Commerce. And so, um, I think you would expect labor to have a, a pretty strong voice. Mm-hmm. Again, not a veto, um, but, uh, but a voice in, in a voice that, that will, that the, that the president elect, if it, if it's Biden will certainly, um, take under serious consideration. Mm-hmm. Sure. Do you think that the China issue being so huge at the moment, um, particularly with the trade war and everything that's happened, the tech, tech war and everything, do you think it's it's important that um, you know trade appointees have got background dealing with China, working with China, or in, uh, at least some sort of China experience? Look, I, I, not just with China, but knowing knowing Vice President Biden, he he does place a high value on expertise. And so uh, I, I think you'll find, I think you will find the appointments that the, the president, uh, the vice president Biden will make will be uh, people that, that bring a fair amount of experience, whether it has to do with China, whether it has to do with the EU. Um, it, this is something that's very important to him. And something that, uh, if you look at his, over over his time as vice president and his time in the Senate, uh, he values expertise. Yeah, so that 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 could be any sort of expertise. Just he he wants the right candidate who who has the experience. Yeah. Yes. Now, you know, the cabinet sometimes can be political people. Ron Kirk was the first mm-hmm. U.S. trade representative, um, and not someone with a, a tremendous amount of trade experience. But someone who was politically savvy, uh, someone who was uh, good at managing important relationships, uh, someone who was a good negotiator, someone who was um, who knew how to communicate to Congress. So uh, you're looking at a whole range of skill sets, uh, and it doesn't mean that you'll appoint somebody that has years and years of experience as a trade negotiator, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but but he will he will want someone who has the kind of skills that um, that can can be valuable to that to whatever role he's appointing. In the case of a U.S. trade representative, mm-hmm. managing critical relationships, having a good relationship with Congress, um, uh, those are those are very valuable skill sets. 
quickfire episode for you this week, but thanks again for listening to the US-China trade war update with me, Finbar Birmingham, on our political economy desk at the South China Morning Post. Keep up to date with all things election and how it affects China at scmp.com. We're on Twitter at SCMP Economy. You can follow me at F Birmingham. That's B-E-R, not like the city. We're in for another roller coaster week. I have no doubt about that, but look forward to bringing you the highlights this time next week. Until then, stay safe, wash your hands, keep your distance, wear your mask. <laughs>